This is Horsepower Happenings. Tear up the body panel, fine. You know, even Ben knows, you could have destroyed the whole race car, if not worse. I don't have any problem racing each other and trading paint and moving people. I mean, that's it's a short track bull ring. This right. is not Daytona. From the MCRP studios in the Motor City. But I do know also one thing, by the time I'm his age, I'll have more than 100 wins, and I promise you that. With Zach Heiser. Fager leads him down on the bottom side of the racetrack. Moyer trying to make something happen on the top shelf. Big run, he'll cross over now down the back straight away into turn number three. Moyer puts the binders on Fager nearly on the bike. And Rich Frank. Any progress, Zach, that they made on the last stop, they ruined on this one. So now they're really trying to get this thing off the ground. From the Motor City Racing Promotion Studios. Hey, guys, this is Ford Hodge. This is three-time dirt car UMP national champion, Rusty Schlink. This is Bobby Santos. This is Travis Stemler. This is Travis Green. This is Andrew Shai. David Melky. Josh Fry. Ryan Rua. And this is Horsepower Happenings. Welcome in to Horsepower Happenings, first show of May, and yet the story remains similar. In Michigan, probably not. In parts of the Southeast, it did happen, and that, of course, we are talking about racing. Good evening, welcome in, glad to have you along. Zach Heiser, it's time to take a look at some things that are happening in a Motor City Minute. The Noss Energy Drink USAC National Midget Series plans to return to action on May 22nd and 23rd from Port City Raceway with a spectator limitation of 400 per night. Both evenings will feature full series points with a complete program each night. Pole sitter Shane Clanton of Zembulon, Georgia repelled a late race challenge from fellow Peach State driver Donald McIntosh for a $4,000 victory in the Schaefer Oil Tar Heel Invitational 40 on Thursday night. A test and tune session is set for this Saturday afternoon, that'd be May 9th, at Gas City I-69 Speedway. The session, which is open to all types and classes of race cars, will run from noon to 4 p.m. The pit entrance gate will open at 10. For Saturday's test and tune, the main grandstand will be closed to spectators. And Casey Kane will return to sprint car competition for the first time in over a year Friday at Knoxville Raceway with the World of Outlaws. The former NASCAR Cup Series standout returns to competition after suffering an injury on March 29th at Williams Grove Speedway that has kept him out of the cockpit. Those things and so much more happening tonight on Horsepower Happenings. Welcome in. Glad you could be a part of the show here tonight. Zach Heiser. And uh, now Rich France joins us into the social distancing uh, virtual Motor City Racing Promotion Studio. Good evening, Rich. How are you? Good evening, Zach. How's everything on your side of the state? Hey, we're doing all right. And uh, I tell you what, uh, we did get some racing in over the weekend. We sure did. And after a couple of months of, uh, of waiting for live racing to get back underway, Brandon Overton couldn't have had a better restart to his 2020 season. Overton started off his weekend by dominating Friday's Carolina Clash Super Late Model Series Lan Lancaster Lidlef Lidlifter at Lancaster Motor Speedway. Uh, Overton overtook the lead on lap three from pole sitter Ross Bales and never looked back throughout the 40-lap feature event. The victory was worth $5,000 to Overton. 
plus another $1,335, Zach, that they raised through crowdfunding. Pretty cool deal they were doing uh, on Dirt on Dirt. Uh, Bales settled for second with Jonathan Davenport, Michael Brown, and Jeff Smith completing the top five. And Zach, uh, Big Sexy wasn't done yet this weekend. <laughs> yeah, you're right. On Saturday night, the first major short track race since the COVID-19 pandemic saw two months' worth of drama folded into one 60-lap event during Saturday's Palmetto Classic at Cherokee Speedway. Multi-time Ultimate Super Late Model Series champion Casey Roberts dominated throughout the event, but it was Brandon Overton going back-to-back and taking $10,000 out of Roberts' hands during a wild final lap. Overton would go on and win the race after leading only the last lap. Uh, While Roberts' race ended, when he hit a tractor tire in turn three while making a last-ditch effort to regain the lead. Overton addressed the last lap move in victory lane after the race, chalking it up as a racing deal on the final lap with ten grand on the line. He said, quote, I'm sure everybody's going to say I wrecked him, but he missed the bottom. It's ten damn grand. You know what I mean. He went on to say, quote, he missed the bottom, and I stuck it in there, and we met. He was coming back down the hill, and I'm not going to let off. I hate that we got together. I don't want to see anybody lead the whole race and lose it on the last lap, but what do you do? End quote. Chris Madden and Kyle Strickler completed the podium with uh, Derek Ramey and Zach Mitchell rounding out the top five. And Donald McIntosh grabbed the big $5,000 payday Saturday night at the Boyd's Dirt Showdown at Boyd Speedway in Ringgold, Georgia. Uh, McIntosh who had also set fast time earlier in the evening, drove by Austin Neely on lap seven and led the rest of the 50-lap event. Austin Smith and Michael Page would complete the podium. And and a few drivers of note that made the trip uh, for this event, Tanner English, could only manage an 11th place finish, Devin Moran 12th, and uh, Hudson O'Neill, who had just a terrible weekend, uh, brought his yellow number 71 machine home 23rd. So uh, not a very good night for the big boys down at the Red Clay at Boyd Speedway. Well, not to be outdone, the folks from NASCAR made some schedule adjustments and they made some announcements last week as well. They will return to racing on Sunday, May 17th from Darlington Raceway with a NASCAR Cup Series race that will serve as the kickoff for seven races over the span of 11 days at two different racetracks throughout May. The sanctioning body made the announcement on Thursday. The race at the historic South Carolina track will be held without fans in attendance and is slated to be NASCAR's first on-track action in more than two months as the sports and world in general have been on pause due to the pandemic. The May 17th race is a 400-miler scheduled for 3.30, and of course you can find that where you find NASCAR, Fox, MRN, and SiriusXM. It also is the first of three races at the track, including a second Cup Series race held midweek under the lights three days later. The May schedule also includes the Crown Jewel Coca-Cola 600 in its traditional Memorial Day weekend home for the 60th consecutive season, plus midweek races in primetime. You should know, by the way, that many things have been changed, including the fact that uh, NASCAR is working on procedures that will be significantly modified in accordance with the CDC, OSHA, and state and local government recommendations, including one-day shows, uh, as well as uh, the fact that uh, they're only traveling distances that are close to the NASCAR shops in North Carolina. Uh, There will be no practice sessions for any event, and qualifying will only be held for the Coca-Cola 600. Other adjustments include mandating the use of protective equipment, Uh, health screenings for all individuals before entering the facility, and 
maintaining social distancing protocols throughout the event. Rich France, what do you think about that? The, the, the fact that there's no practice in qualifying gets me on edge a little bit about a 400-mile race uh, for these boys that uh, maybe haven't seen the track in a long time. Well, I don't think it matters as much to them, 400-mile race act. That I, I think it would have more of an effect in a in maybe a 25-lap feature event. Um, but uh, for, for the most part, 400 miles, I think that they're, uh, I, I think they'll be just fine. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. And not to be outdone, Rich, on the dirt side, some announcements were made as well. Exactly. And you knew that they were going to start coming in uh, slowly but surely. But the Lucas Oil Dirt Late Model Series has announced it will be, be returning to action in May after the COVID-19 uh, pandemic forced several postponements. The Lucas Oil Reopening Tour, as it's called, uh, provides the purse for six newly added May events. The series will kick things off with a pair of $7,000 to win events on May 12th and 13th at Lucas Oil Speedway in Wheatland, Missouri. The series will then move on to Golden Isle Speedway, May 19th and 20th, and East Bay Raceway Park down in Florida, May 26th and 27th. Race teams will be gunning for more than $70,000 in purse money at each of those events, uh, also paying $7,000 to win and the uh, the qualifying liner that uh, we have to add to all these stories zach all of the events scheduled in may will be without fans yeah and i think that's going to kind of be a given here over the next couple of weeks uh maybe a couple of months uh, possibly as far as fan restrictions might be looking to the end of the year but we, you know that's just speculation at this point for the first time in 20 years though here's some exciting news out of indiana for the first time in 20 years, winged sprint cars will return to the Indianapolis Speed Rome with the help of the must-see racing sprint car series presented by Engine Pro. The event, titled the Indiana Shootout, will kick off on Thursday, August 20th, leading into the rescheduled 104th Indianapolis 500 on August 23rd. Also on the card for the weekend of racing are pavement and TQ midgets, which include the popular munchkin midgets that have only ever competed at the Rumble in Fort Wayne, uh, also, check this out. Thursday night of the festivities, put the must-see racing sprints head-to-head -head against winged late models. This King of the Hill-style speed trial will attempt to lower the fifth mile's overall all-time track record. Then on Friday, a complete show for the must-see racing sprints, including a 50-lap feature split into two 25-lap segments. There may be some concern, however, with this event about overlap with the return of the night before the 500 on August 22nd at nearby Lucas Oil Raceway. However, must-see racing promoter Jim Hanks and Indiana Shootout co-promoter Michael Moore are confident in the capability of success for both events. Uh, Rich, that uh, is going to do it for the news portion of things. Now it's time to break down a weekend of racing, which is something that we haven't been able to do in a long time. It is time for Here's the Deal. Yeah, Zach, and I, I was able to, uh, I went out on a limb. I figured I might as well. So I went and got my, uh, when I saw what was going on this weekend, I went and picked up my uh, Flow Racing slash Dirt on Dirt subscription and went ahead and just because I thought this was going to be the way that we were going to deal with racing for quite a while. I went and bought the year subscription. I went all out and uh, I watched uh, two races this weekend. Uh, first event I watched on Friday, the uh, lid lifter from Lancaster Speedway. And on Saturday, uh, I caught the Boyd's, uh, the Boyd showdown at Boyd Speedway down uh, on the Georgia Tennessee border. Uh, 
what did you catch? Yeah, no, I think I pretty much caught the same thing. Uh, I caught Boyd's. That part is for sure. Uh, I caught the Boyd's race on Saturday. Uh, but then I also caught what, what kind of kicked off this whole weekend. On Thursday, I caught that race from uh, North Carolina where 25 late models were on property, and that was the only thing racing. And I got to tell you, Rich, I kind of enjoyed only having one division of race cars to sit through, and it was the premier division. Um, that was a lot of fun on Thursday. Good race. Interesting racetrack as, as well at Tri-County Racetrack. Um, very cool facility from what I could see, and also from what I could see from the dirt-on-dirt dirt side of things. Looked like everybody was, for the most part, minding their P's and Q's about everything that was going on, so that was fun to see. But uh, for me, Thursday, thumbs up. Great job, Tri-County Racetrack. Way to get it done, and great show. And I had forgot about that. I did see that as well. We had our company meeting that we were on our on our little uh, on our uh, Zoom cast or whatever we call it. Uh, our what do we <laughs> well what, video? What we, we were video chatting. That's that's the yeah, basic our video, of it. Our video yeah. chat. Uh, we had that on, and I and I had turned the race on. But uh, I was really impl- impressed at Lancaster. Uh, I went ahead and watched that. Uh, some really good racing down there. Uh, for it with uh, with like you said, Brandon Overton picking up the win. Uh, Boys Speedway. Uh, as soon as I saw four divisions, yeah, I was a little concerned, nervous. Uh, that's when that's when I got nervous. And uh, you know, the track started out really good. Boy, they had that really red clay there, and as it went on, it just got slicker and slicker and slicker and shiny. And um, you know, I don't know that there were people. There were people. They were showing the tweets uh, on the on the Dirt on Dirt broadcast, and people were saying, you know, put some water down, do something, yeah. and 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 they really didn't the whole night. And it uh, it, it there there were some good cars there, but it, it really did turn into a one lane racetrack. You have to wonder again. Uh, this is the first time that a lot of these tracks have been open, if not this year, in at least two months. Uh, you know, um, th- this is this is a situation where. Uh, maybe there's some rust to be knocked off, but I do agree. Four classes for Boyd was probably a bit much. They were also four very similar classes with super late models, crate lates, a class that they called sportsmen that I don't, you know, maybe tires and, and, and some frame stuff that you wouldn't know, but the bodies were exactly the same. Um, and then, you know, Rich, the drivers had some rust that needed knocked off as well. There were a couple B mains that got out of hand. All in all, I think that the fact that we're able to complain about racing probably says that we don't need to complain about racing because we should just be happy that racing's back. <laughs> right. Well, and the fourth class that you that, that you had missed was the driver development class. Right. And uh, and those were basically the sportsman cars, identical. So they could move those cars. I, I did like that idea. I thought it was a cool deal that they got down there. These are all for first-year drivers. And when they're done and they want to move up after their first year, that's why it's called the driver development class, those cars can move right into the sportsman class. They're legal. So it's so, it's the same, literally the same car, just first-year drivers. Correct. All correct. Right. That's how they explained it on the, on the broadcast. And they said, and there's no investment for them to move up. They just take those cars and their new experience that they learn, and they take it up to the sportsman class. They can do that without spending another dollar. So right. I, I thought that was a pretty cool idea to do that with, even though it looked like, there were four divisions of late models running right on Saturday night. Well, and, and to be fair too, by the way, uh, those are the those are the races that we watched on Dirt on Dirt. There was a number of races that happened over the weekend. Uh, also had modifieds in Oklahoma and Iowa was uh, underway as well. 
Uh, looks like uh, maybe some sprint car racing happened over the weekend as well with some 305 stuff uh, from the Big O. But, uh, Rich, we'll talk about this a little bit more as we close out our show, but that, that was kind of the tip of the iceberg, and I think it went well enough that this coming weekend, 8th, 9th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th, um, I think really it's going to be kind of hard to keep up with all the racing that's going on with either limited fans or uh, pay-per-view only. It is, and and probably the only re- we kind of looked at the entry list and, and to decide what we were going to watch. Really, right? Uh, I mean, the big names. What who is? We wanted to see how they did, and really, uh, they didn't know, do very Grant well. Really, was he was? Yeah, he was the he was the star of the weekend for sure, uh, and everybody else really didn't do that well. Yeah, to be I honest think- with you, so. Maybe they're all shaking the rust off a little bit. Yeah, I think if you're Hudson O'Neill, I think if you're Tyler Erb, Tanner English, uh, you're pretty disappointed with how this past weekend went. Yeah, there were a lot of home tracks that you know, home track drivers that uh, did not make them look very good. But uh, you know, I don't know how how often they run on that red clay. Um, it, it it looked like they hadn't been on it very much at all, or maybe it was the you know the two months off and and trying to shake the shake the cobwebs off, but. Uh, the only one that uh, looked like he had didn't miss a beat all weekend was Brandon Overton. Tell you what, we got to take a break. When we come back, we are going to uh, get into our interviews for tonight. Got a great show lined up for you. Um, we've got uh, Ray Morneau on the other side, the uh, driver that hails from Canada, did some work over here in the States not too long ago. Uh, we'll talk with him coming up. And then a really interesting perspective, uh, I'm hoping, coming up, from a guy who does so much <laughs> within the motorsports industry, that'll be uh, none other than the president of Frost Motorsports, Tim Frost, coming up uh, to talk about kind of the money and business side of racing and what the COVID-19 pandemic is doing, has done, and might do in the future. All of that is ahead. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Horsepower Happenings. The call sounds from race control. Yellow, 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 bottom of one. Yellow, 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 bottom of one. Top motorsport sanctions rely on the elite team of industry professionals for Motor City Racing Promotions to respond. Highly trained men and women in uniform systematically arrive on scene with their advanced fleet of safety vehicles equipped for the toughest jobs. Hours of annual training and practice are executed with precision as the task is rapidly performed in unison. Each official on the MCRP safety team is SFI certified in short track incident response and demonstrates a comprehensive background in motorsports, firefighting, and emergency medical services. It is their own appreciation of this sport and its growing need for professional motorsports rescue that has been the catalyst behind MCRP safety team's impeccable portfolio. For more information on Motor City Racing Promotion safety team, log on to MotorCityRacing.co and look for the MCRP badge at a track near you. Hey race fans, this is Scott Menlin, president of Motor City Racing Promotions. I'd just like to take a moment to thank everyone in our strong racing community, those who are doing our part, staying apart. Practicing social distancing is essential to our success in the fight against the COVID-19 worldwide pandemic. I must especially thank our amazing healthcare providers and first responders, some of which are members of our incredible MCRP safety team who are out on the front line around the clock serving our community stay safe race fans we'll see you at a track soon hey if uh you know you're a racer you know now more than ever that money should be spent wisely 
Insert Hubco Metal Fabrication. Racer-owned and operated, Lou Cobble knows the value of good quality products at a fair price. Right now, 24-inch pit lifts with a hydraulic pump start at just $875. Oh, and by the way, upgrades are available like powder coating, LED lights, and a waterproof pump cart are all available. To place an order, it's simple. Find Hubco on Facebook. You can log on to hubcolifts.com or call 269-838-0029. That's 269-838-0029 for Hubco Fabrications. This is Grant Hedges, your 2018 Flat Rock Speedway Street Flap Champion, and you're listening to Horsepower Happening. Welcome back to Horsepower Happenings. Zach Hauser, Rich France with you. And Rich, as we just heard, we had one, so we figured we needed to get the other, <laughs> if you will. Uh, go ahead and introduce us to our uh, first guest on the show here tonight. Well, uh, you know, I first met this young man when he was about 14 years old, and he was getting ready to race his first season uh, at Flat Rock Speedway, and a lot's happened since then. Uh, he was a 2017 ARCA Street Stock Champion at Flat Rock at 16 years old, mind you. Uh, he's now 19, makes his home in Windsor, Ontario, Canada. Ray Morneau, welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, looking forward to this interview with you guys. Now, uh, let's go back just a little bit. You had a very successful, <laughs> to put it mildly, career in micro sprints. Um, then you guys decided to come across the border over here to the States uh, at 14 years old to come to Flat Rock Speedway, and you're going to race against guys twice your age, three times your age. <laughs> Does that um, include you, Rich? No, that wasn't me. I, I got out of there before he came over. <laughs> I was smart. <laughs> um, but it, it seemed like when you came over, it just seemed seamless for you. Yeah, we uh, we, we were we were lucky. We uh, it, Everything just kind of fell into place we, we felt at home there kind of thing and uh you know like you said we we ended up uh seventh in points in our first season uh in street stocks there and you know what that class is like i mean it's probably one of the most competitive classes around the state of michigan I'd, I'd have to say so uh yeah we uh we we took a liking to it right away and uh yeah we, we picked up on it quick and it was fun fun the, the four years we were in and then you kind of you kind of built up to it. You said you finished seventh in your first, then you then second, and then then you won a championship. It, really, the next three years you were battling for a championship. Uh, got you one of them, um, and then you guys decided to head back home. Um, obviously, that was a pretty big decision uh, with the success you had over here for you guys to make. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was uh, it was a tough decision to make. Um, we. We were running, like you said, we ran we ran good the last three years there. We ended up second and then won the championship and then uh, second the last year there. And, uh, yeah, we just we wanted to, to move up a little bit and just get a different different feel of the, the car and, and get into a little bit more different group of guys, you know, kind of thing, and, and just feel our way around. And to move up to the Supers over there, it was, uh, was going to be a, a steep hill to climb. 
so we uh, we decided to come back over here. We're running a, a pro late model, so it's uh, it's got the 604 in it compared to the the built motors like the the late models at Flat Rock. So it it just seemed more uh, it seemed better for us, and we could you know kind of afford it to run back over here with the 604. <laughs> Well, and so I got to wonder, you know, Ray, as we look back at, at the earlier part, you know, obviously there's circle tracks over there kind of doing the similar thing. What led to coming to Flat Rock to run street stocks in the first place? Um, and, you know, not, not, you know, and then just to turn around after a couple of years and go back across the border, you know, not, not necessarily a big thing, but, uh, you know, just an interesting strategy to say the least. So what, what was it about Flat Rock that you guys said, you know what, we want to commit to there to get my, to get my big, my big wheels career underway, if you will. Yeah, we, uh, we ran, like Rich said, we, we ran micro sprints up in Grand Bend. It's like two hours away from us. Um, and then we got a Legends car. They ran those at Grand Bend, and and we were in our second season. And then Flat Rock was having a race with the uh, Michigan Legends, so we decided to go over there. And it, it's only about a half an hour away from from where we live, so uh, it, it's not. It, it was kind of close, so so we decided to to go over there. And I, I took a liking to the track. It was uh, a hard track to drive, but a lot of fun. Um, and then we started watching videos throughout the winter of uh the street stock class and uh and it really i mean it, it's so competitive and the group of guys they got i mean it, it was a ton of fun so uh that's when we decided to to get a street stock we bought uh, bought an old one uh from chris heber he uh he ran there for years and then uh he quit racing so we uh we bought his car and then ran our first year there um it was a, it was a car we only had I think we only had 15 pounds of lead so we didn't have much to move around yeah. <laughs> so we uh we uh we built a car um our, for our second year and then that's that's when we really uh really seem to step up our game is is that second year when we got a, a mccall racing chassis it uh it, it really helped we our first night we ended up second and after that we uh we started getting the hang of it and uh and we we had a we had a good run there for a while. <laughs> now you mentioned going back across over to Canada, and uh, you know it's you found a, a little bit of a home, right? You you compete on a semi regular basis with the APC uh, series over there, correct? Yeah, we run uh, we run Delaware uh, full time kind of deal, and then um, we we ran a couple APC races. APC series is a uh, super super competitive series. Um, we. Uh, we run a couple races there just cause it's, uh, you gotta have your stuff together to run, run with those guys. So, uh, we ran a couple races, um, one at Tucasa and one at Delaware, which was our home track. Um, and, uh, it, it just, we, we ran there and it was, it, like I said, it's tough and it, it takes some money. So well, we run a couple races here and there with them. Well, and you mentioned, uh, you know, that it's a tough crowd to run against, but, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You have a top five finish, uh, I believe at Tucasa, correct? Yeah, yeah, that was our uh, that was our first first race with the APC series. Uh, we qualified third. Well, before we left uh, our shop here um, and started traveling down the road, uh, me and the crew were talking, and and we were going to be happy with a top fifteen, top twenty finish. I mean, it's the times are so close, and everybody's so consistent. So, uh, like I said, we were going to be happy with a top fifteen to top twenty finish, and to go out there and we we ran. 
well over what we thought we were going to run. Like I said, we qualified third and ended up fifth in the after the hundred laps. Now, from everybody over here on, uh, in the states, uh, would probably compare what you're running to like a, a Jag CRA All Stars Tour car, right? Right, Ray? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, any interest in coming over and trying to hit a couple of those races uh, if we can ever get going? Yeah, the uh, the last two years, last year it, uh, it rained out there. We were we we're looking at getting ready to run that, and then uh, it got rained out and never got rescheduled because all the rain last year. So we uh, we were thinking about this year, and then uh, with this whole crazy deal we got going on right now, we uh, couldn't get over there either. So, but but we definitely are looking back uh, to getting over to Flat Rock. Um, I we'd like to do the Jags. Uh, all-star race um, and, and even the super series race i think we could probably get away with with running the 604 so we'd like to try it definitely like to try it and uh we're gonna try our hardest here and get the schedules uh together and uh get back over there now we were talking about the apc uh united late model series um you are now in your downtime uh doing some eye racing with them as well and you are not only finishing well, but you're tearing some cars up as well too, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's easy to do. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's hard. And, and the nice thing is, you got a reset button, so you just hit that button, and your car's all fixed and it didn't cost you anything. You know, you know everything about that, right? <laughs> you wish you wish it was that easy in real racing. Just pull down pit road, hit the button, and go back out. Well, that's what I was just gonna say. Is I'm wondering if uh, Rich wishes that he could have figured out how to get one of those in his car, because you know, uh, a guy like Rich probably tore some stuff up too. <laughs> Stop it! All right. Well, hey, you know what? I, I gotta, I gotta ask you though. Um, you know, Ray, what, uh, what sort of things? I mean, are you competing against the same guys that are running in that APC division on a regular basis? And I mean, if so, are you able to learn anything through this i racing during this downtime? Yeah, the uh, the APC tour, uh, they they put on a great deal. Um, it it came together in a matter of I think three or four days and we got for a race we got almost 40 guys running um it's all the same guys that race week in and week out um and there's a couple of officials that are uh, that are running too and uh, yeah it's a it's a neat it's it's hard it's it's close the closest thing you're going to get to real racing but uh it's definitely a little bit different because you got no uh feel from the senior pants right it's uh that's what makes it hard you're just going off your visuals and what you can feel through the steering wheel. So it's definitely a little bit harder. It's, it's something to something to get used to, but the way the, the tires wear and everything, it, it all feels the exact same. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely it helps you pace yourself kind of thing, which, uh, which I, I like the longer races. So the 100 lap, well, we're actually running 150 lap races now. Um, but, uh, but I like them because you kind of get, in, get into a rhythm and, and just run your own race. And, you know, like, like Zach said, we've had, uh, we had Caden Lapsovich on the show after he won at the Glass City 200. And, of course, his brother Trayton, uh, you seem to run with quite a bit. Um, those guys both are pretty good at, at, at what they're doing. And like Zach said, uh, you got to be able to learn from those guys, huh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they, uh, there's, there's a pl- plenty of guys on there uh, that, are, that are awesome at it. I mean, you got the Lapsoviches, you got Dale Shaw, he's he's great at eye racing. 
Um, Joe Lawrence is good, and it's uh, it's like you said. It's it, once you get in behind them and you can see what they're doing, it makes it a little bit easier. You, you can catch on to it a little quicker. <laughs> yeah, exactly for sure. Well, I think the only you know the, the 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 elephant in the room right now is you know what's what's next for you um, over here in the states. It's it's varying very much depending on what state you're in. Um, what are you hearing? Do you think that you're going to get a chance to get back behind the wheel of that car anytime soon in real life, or uh, I mean, what what are your plans right now for the immediate future? Um, just like a lot of high racing for right now, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's it's up in the air right now. Uh, a couple of tracks up uh, farther from where we run, probably about three four hours away from us. They're kind of canceled until June, so we don't really know don't know when anything's going to be back to normal. Right? I mean, it's not going to get right back to normal like it was, but uh, as normal as we can get it and uh, get back to running some laps because uh, iRacing is fun, but it ain't the, ain't the real deal. Absolutely. And so I guess the one final question is, is that once everything does get back to normal, kind of what are your plans moving forward? Um, you know, right now with the, with the crate car, I mean, do you have aspirations of, of following maybe the APC series full time or moving up to a super coming back to the States, maybe doing some CRA stuff? Uh, what's kind of on your radar right now? Um, for this year, we're, this year we're going to play it by year. Um, we don't know obviously when everything's kind of up in the air, so we don't know when we're going to get back to racing, but, uh, this year we're just going to try and, uh, run a couple of our home track at Delaware, um, run as many races as we can there. And then, uh, a couple of the APC races, um, and, and to get, uh, to get to the full tour, it'll be tough. We, uh, we don't have near the, uh, the sponsorship to, uh, to do the whole series. So we're definitely always looking, uh, to try and get something, but, uh, until somebody, somebody really, really helps us out, we I don't think we'll be able to do the whole tour. Um, but with that being said, we're going to try and do as many as we can uh, for the APC series. Um, and then I'd like to try and get back back to Flat Rock for the Jags races um, and uh, and definitely try a couple of different uh, different tracks with the Jags tour because, uh, you know, it's fun to get to different tracks and it's, it's fun to, to be able to learn the different tracks too, right? It's not the not the same thing week in and week out. Right. Now, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you off the hook because uh, we didn't even bring up the Bubba stuff yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was one night at Toledo Speedway where uh, cocktails were involved, and we came up with this nickname for him, and it kind of stuck. Uh, it kind of stuck to him pretty good at Flat Rock the whole time he was over here. Uh, but we had fun with it, didn't we, Ray? Oh, yeah, we did. That was uh... – that was quite the quite the trip we had down to Toledo. We uh, we tried to make that for a couple of years there. We made that our uh, annual trip with me, my dad, my uncle, and uh, George Newman. And uh, yeah, we uh, we did it a couple of years, and then I think that was the last year we went. Uh, we didn't want too many more nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I did notice last year, Ray, that you did put Bubba on the roof of your car. I like that. I appreciate it. Yeah, we we had to we had to carry it on. <laughs> there you go. Well, Ray, we appreciate you joining us tonight on Horsepower Happenings. Um, you know, again, good luck with the iRacing stuff. You know, uh, don't don't spend too much money on on those reset buttons. 
Um, but uh, in all seriousness, good luck when you do get a chance to get back behind the car, and uh, hopefully we'll get to see you at a track real soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you guys letting me come on this show. Uh, I definitely definitely like catching up with you guys, so uh, appreciate that, and, uh, and you guys stay safe over there. I know uh, things are a little bit crazy, and hopefully all this winds down and we can get to a racetrack. Sounds good. All right, we have to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the business side of things with a guy that you may have even heard speak at PRI. It's coming up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Horsepower Happenings. Suspension Max is a service and solution-based manufacturer of automotive suspension and specialty parts. Based out of Bay City, Michigan, the local company began servicing clients in 2002. Suspension Max serves the automotive aftermarket as well as engineers and produces specialty suspension components for original equipment manufacturers and government contracts. Learn more about what they can do for you at SuspensionMax.com or call 1-88-629-9226. Suspension Max, the leveling kit experts. When the call sounds from race control. Hello, yellow, yellow, bottom of one. Yellow, 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 bottom of one. Top motorsport sanctions rely on the elite team of industry professionals from Motor City Racing Promotions to respond. Highly trained men and women in uniform systematically arrive on scene with their advanced fleet of safety vehicles equipped for the toughest jobs. Hours of annual training and practice are executed with precision as the task is rapidly performed in unison. Each official on the MCRP safety team is SFI certified in short track incident response and demonstrates a comprehensive background in motorsports, firefighting, and emergency medical services. It is their own appreciation of this sport and its growing need for professional motorsports rescue that has been the catalyst behind MCRP safety team's impeccable portfolio. For more information on Motor City Racing Promotion Safety Team, log on to MotorCityRacing.co and look for the MCRP badge at a track near you. Hi, this is Hayden Sprague, driver of the Ross Mortgage, number 41 FRD Chevy, and you're listening to Horsepower Hat. Welcome back to Horsepower Happening. Zach Heiser, Rich France with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. On this Monday evening, and Rich, it is time for our final guest on the evening. Go ahead and introduce us to who we have on the phone. Yeah, we got one of our own, Zach, formerly from Michigan, now makes his home in Chicago, Illinois. He is the president of Frost Motorsports and probably, uh, more famously, the publisher of the National Speedway Directory, Tim Frost. Welcome to Horsepower Happening. Yes, hi, good afternoon, or good evening, gentlemen. Glad to uh, be in touch with you and uh, all your listeners. Now, Tim, I got a question. Uh, back in the day before you uh, started Frost Motorsport, uh, you're in the financial side of things and on the economic side of things. What made you want to move into the sports and entertainment side of the business? Uh, we, back in the mid-90s, we got involved in doing a feasibility study for uh, redevelopment of the Michigan State Fairgrounds down at 8 Mile and Woodward. And we were working with uh, several groups to decide and look at uh, the possibility of build, rebuilding a racetrack because obviously they built there in the, uh, uh, they raced there during the 40s and 50s at the State Fairgrounds. And that, uh, that was the uh, point of looking at possibly uh, um, moving the Detroit Grand Prix uh, out to uh, the Michigan State Fairgrounds. So that's when I got my start back in the mid-90s, uh, working on the business aspects of racing and facilities. 
And now you fast forward, uh, you know, 98, you kind of start doing your own thing. Now, some 22 years later, it's uh, it's 2020. For those who maybe don't know exactly what it is that you provide, what are your services kind of in a nutshell? What is it that you do? Well, basically what we do is we deal with anything uh, surrounding the numbers of motorsports um, from that. And what we'll do with that is um, we go and work on uh, – we work with facilities, we work with tracks, sanctions, uh, teams, manufacturers, and basically what we'll do is provide uh, consulting services to them in the forms of feasibility studies, economic impact, uh, valuations and appraisals, and, and uh, litigation assistance if necessary. And so now, right now is a time, I think, when, uh, you know, with the pandemic that's going on all across the world, right now there's a lot of pens and pencils that are getting sharpened and that are smoking from the numbers that are being crushed. Um, you know, what is, I guess, right off the top, what is some general advice maybe that you would give, let's say, to a, to a racetrack owner right now who's just sitting there looking at their property not doing anything for for an amount of time that's to be determined i mean what are some ways that they can help kind of cope with that situation and what sort of things would you say that they can be doing to help get them ready for when we do get the green light to get back to normal well i think um as we know anybody in racing uh it can be considered um uh, a very resourceful uh entity as they are because whether you're a track owner or a team owner or a driver you're really trying to make make do with uh, as little as possible for this and this time right now everybody is really on hold there really is not a whole lot that you can do i think everybody's waiting to see hey when can they reopen when can they go through um uh and get back to some su- some type of operation from that you know, the thing is, with any um, businesses there, is um, really what is it going to take to bring the people out there? So what we're seeing is for um, the guidance that's coming out, there have been several entities that are, are, are doing it specifically on the facility side of the business. And uh, the group at the United States Motorsports Association and also the World Racing Group have really put out a hashtag return to racing, which gives a set of guidelines for what they are necessarily going to have to do to get back um, into business. And it's much more complicated than most people think. Um, Most people say, hey, you know what? Uh, as long as the government has given us the okay to go through and race, but they really have got to go through and look at it from a public health standpoint. They've got to go through and look at it from a state and local uh, regulation standpoint, um, you know, and follow all those guidelines. How do they handle the media that's in there? Um, What is going to be near term on the future right now is um, we're going to be seeing NASCAR come back into the fold here in the next couple of weeks where they are going to be doing their, their racing um, down in the southeast, a couple of tracks at Darlington and Charlotte, um, under very, very minimal types of things out there. Um, what we have also seen is a couple of, depending on uh, the tracks located in different parts of the country, whether it be um, oval tracks or drag strips, they are starting to say, hey, we want to return to racing, and they've got all good intentions. But as they get closer to the date of what they want to go and open their facility, they're seeing the local officials are saying, hey, you know what, we're just not quite sure, we're not comfortable 
with it. So again, everybody's kind of feeling their way to kind of go through and do. And, you know, really, unfortunately is, you know, nobody's really been around this scenario. So nobody has the, the timeline and the, and the, uh, the guidance on how to go through and figure. Um, and really when we do get to it, I think what we're going to see is, you know, and this even includes following the leads of professional sports, you know, multi-billion dollar organizations that are out there. Um, what is possible is we're just not going to return to the norm that we've all experienced and the ability for fans to get out there and go to the track. Um, that's really going to be the hard part. And if at all, when they do go open up and can go and, and host some type of racing, it's definitely going to be at a much lower uh, capacity standpoint and not in the typical scenario that we enjoy heading out to our local short tracks on a, on a Saturday or Friday night. Now, Tim, I, I had mentioned, um, you know, in your introduction, you're the publisher of the National Speedway Directory with, I would think anybody, a fan, a driver, a race team has heard of that publication. Um, but they don't put your name with it. Uh, tell me how, why you came up with that, because I, I travel a lot. I think that thing is handy as heck. Well, uh, you know, the history of uh, National Speedway Directory really goes back to, uh, to our roots in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with, uh, with our co-founder, Alan and Nancy Brown. When, when Alan started the publication in, uh, along with Larry Yard, back in uh, the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, it was because they had a passion for racing, but they just didn't know where all the tracks were. So as they traveled, he used to uh, make notes of where the facilities were located, traveled with, you know, an atlas and how they got to the tracks and everything. And he, they literally came out in 1974 with the, the first initial year or so was called the Midwest Auto Racing Guide and then uh, was published periodically during on and off for a couple of years during the late 70s, and then went um, in the early 80s, 81, 82, is when they started publishing annually for that. So really, Alan Brown is known as um, the nation's leading foremost authority on racetracks and on the history and existence of racing. And without Alan's devotion for, you know, four to five decades of, you know, visiting tracks, attending races, documenting the history of our sport, which can be found in History of America Speedways, which he published again, his fourth edition a couple of years ago. Um, that's really what it is. And what we did is um, we'd known Alan for a number of years and Alan was getting ready to go and uh, retire. And we said, hey, Alan, if you'd like to do something with the directory, we would love to, uh, to be able to help you with that. So uh, we've had it under our uh, tutelage for about 10 years right now. And we're kind of taking a um, you know, nobody really knows what, when, and and how the form of racing will be uh, will be coming back this year. But we still do maintain real good content um, on our website in a digital format. And most of the people are getting a lot of their information, whether it be on their mobile apps or web browsers, uh, for that matter. But again, the, the Speedway directory is a staple for everybody to keep it from a, a B to C platform to meet the needs of the race fans, along with the B to B which would be the, the, the services and businesses that are providing um, those type of uh, items to the racetrack and their owners and people that attend. And, and Tim, I was, I was fortunate enough to be at the Michigan Auto Racing Fan Club Banquet uh, where you got honored. That had to be pretty important from your home state. And, uh, you know, a lot of people really influent, influential in the motorsports industry uh, get honored uh, by Wild Bill and his group, uh, that had to feel pretty good to you. 
Yeah, we were, again, we were very honored by that as being selected, you know, a media partner uh, of the year by the, uh, as you said, the Michigan Auto Racing Fan Club. Um, but again, really what that does is that that is the, the, the tilt of the hat to our founder, Alan uh, and Nancy Brown, because without them, our sport would not be um, as well recognized or as organized or for people to kind of go through um, and do it. And the people that have used the guide through the years is also the honorary um, person there. You know, Kenny Schrader and uh, Jeff Gordon used this for years to really say, how are we going to get from racetrack to racetrack from that? So, um, yes, we're really proud. And without the fans and without, you know, a great entity like that where they provide scholarships and recognize, um, you know, the efforts of all the young racers for tracks around the state of Michigan, it's uh, it's something else. And we're we were honored to uh, be in attendance of that event. When you look over uh, your resume, Tim Frost, and uh, everything that you do, I don't know that 24 hours in a day is enough time for you to do everything, but somehow you managed to make it work. Um, Just looking at a couple of things on your list, right? You're a lecturer uh, for a branch of Northwestern University, publisher, as we've said, of National Speedway Directory, informative source for the motorsports industry and developer of the Track Guide mobile app, which we hit on a little bit. Uh, You're also the host of the annual Racetrack Business Conference on the governing board of the annual Global Sports Management Summit. You are a guy who has really said, you know what? This is what I like to do. I'm all about this, and I am all in. My chips are all pushed right here. How much fun do you get to have on a daily basis with your job? So we saw an underserved niche back in the mid, uh, mid-90s where people were not providing consulting services to the industry. And at that time, there really wasn't a lot of information about the business of sports or the business of racing for that standpoint. And so, as we said, and we worked on these projects, and again, you know, starting uh, with the Michigan State Fairgrounds, then going and working with uh, Chris Pook and developing uh, Gateway International Raceway uh, during the the formation of the IndyCar uh, um, split that was going on for that. That's really what we did. So we really said, let's go through and look at uh, the business of sports. Let's go and look at examples that are being um, uh, operated by the larger leagues. And how can we go and provide those principles to to our sport, um, specifically auto racing from that standpoint. Another thing which was helpful is because we work with facilities, both from a proposed basis or potential development, along with existing facilities, as you go through and work with these people and multidimensional, whether it be a road course, uh, oval track, uh, or drag strip or dirt or paved, you get a chance to see how people are operating. And then in addition to that, you see who the successful operators are, what, what are they doing, what can be improved from that. And then, you know, more recently, we've gone and established uh, down at the annual PRI show in December each year in Indy, um, the Racetrack Business Conference will be entering our ninth year in 2020. And we've been able to bring the industry leaders that are out there. And the important thing to what you do, and also along with the Michigan Speedway Promoters Association and shows like you're doing here, is if you can provide a forum for people to go through and gather, exchange ideas, and, um, you know, share intellectual uh, experiences from that. That's really how we as an industry can collaborate. We can learn from our mistakes, you know, try out some new things, but really strengthen our entire thing so that when we go and put on the show and work it as a business, because no matter what, you still got to try to make it all work for the fans and all of our vested stakeholders. 
that's the most important thing. And we're, we're just glad to be part of it and what we can do to uh, help people move forward. And Tim, just a little tongue in cheek question. You know, if you can figure out a way on your track guide mobile app to tell us when we can actually go to a race, I bet we can sell out the app and get it on about everybody's phone in the country. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. And again, you know, one of the things is people don't realize, but you know, racing is big. I mean, obviously it's big and they think about it from their local track or their local market area that's out there, but there are, you know, approximately, you know, and our last count we're looking at about uh, 1100 racetracks in the United States and Canada of those, those are divided into three segments between oval, drag, and road. There's approximately 60% are oval tracks, uh, 20% are um, drag strips, and 10% are uh, uh, 15% are uh, road courses that are out there. And we're about a 50-50 split between dirt and paved surfaces that are out there right now for it. And on, uh, on a, a summation, there's about 15,000 racing events that are happening on an annual basis throughout the entire um, United States and Canada. Obviously, that has been completely, that model has been completely upside down right there. (laughs) So literally, there is, you know, depending on where you go and the type of racing that's out there, you can pretty much find racing, you know, the majority of the week from coast to coast. Um, It's, you know, it's not like it was back in the heyday of, you know, uh, the 70s and 80s, especially like in Wisconsin, you know, or even in Michigan, you know, some of the people could race, you know, five, six nights a week. We're much more, you know, trimmed down than that. But there is a lot of racing in all forms going on. And, yes, it's challenged at the highest levels. But, you know, racing is going to exist um, in, in some form or matter, um, no matter what, because people love the sport and they'll figure out how to make it all happen. And finally, Tim, as uh, we, we get set to wrap up here, kind of on that point, uh, I want to get your maybe opinion on this fact, and that is, that over the last week and a half, auto racing has been the first sport to come back in some fashion out of this pandemic. And, and right now, as we mentioned with NASCAR, it's the first major league sport that is set to come back. Um, what do you think that that will do, in your personal opinion, for the sport? I, I would like to think that if it's the only game in town, perhaps we get some new fans, perhaps we get some old fans to come back and maybe stick with us uh, for a little while longer again. Well, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be really great. I think everybody is uh, really ready for something to be out there. I think the recent success over the last couple of months of you know esports and iRacing in particular um, has been fantastic uh, for that. I mean, I think NASCAR and IndyCar have really embraced that the the ratings and viewership and participation they've gotten and the production quality that they've been able to deliver for those. Uh, for those simulated platforms is actually has re- been tremendous. Now, on a, on a big standpoint, I think NASCAR is uh, really going out there. I think they are studying very hard. They've consulted with, um, you know, the officials that want to have them there. They're, they're doing all the guidelines. So I think that they are really, um, I think people are ready for it. They have the ability to actually own the venues and bring their, uh, bring all their things. So, yes, it's, I think it's a step in the right direction. Um, obviously, you know, they're going to mind their P's and Q's and say, hey, what's going to be out there? But I think by them going out and doing this, I think they're going to be about at the right time that everybody's going to be ready for it uh, to be able to receive it. Will there be some bumps along the way? Absolutely. Right. Will there be people that, uh, 
you know, the results don't necessarily occur that will be afterwards and people will do some Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, that's going to happen for that. But somebody's got to be out there. I think the public is ready for it. I think from a business standpoint, we're a little further down the road um, and they're going to do their best. And I think they're going to they're, they're really going to work hard to uh, make it all happen in a safe and conscientious manner for for everybody involved. Tim Frost, president of Frost Motorsports LLC, among the many titles that he holds. Thanks so much for joining us tonight on Horsepower Happenings. Loved getting your opinion and take on a couple of things, and uh, stay safe. Hopefully we run into you at a racetrack soon. That's right, and all your fans, uh, get out to the racetrack uh, when it's all ready, but still we can uh, support everybody, and thanks for having me on the show. Well, again, our appreciation to uh, Frost Motorsports and, and uh, Tim for joining us on the program. Uh, Rich, as we said earlier in the show, May 7th through 9th this weekend could get out of hand with, with pay-per-view races and, and limited spectator events. We know that there are a bunch scheduled across the region, but just before this show, uh, we we got some loose confirmation that one of our Michigan's own might be packing up the family van and headed to the racetrack with a car in tow. Yeah, uh, we heard that uh, Logan Arts, who battled for the American Ethanol Late Model Tour Championship in 2019, um, thinking about loading up and heading out to I-55 in Missouri for that UMP late model event. Um, gosh, Zach, <laughs> I really want to head out there and go check that out. And, and uh, you know, I like the young man anyway. He's always been right. great to us. And, 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 and boy, he can he can sure wheel a late model. We know that. Well, um, and exactly. And I tell you what, it's exciting to see some Michigan boys getting a chance to get back behind the wheel of their race cars. I know they've been anxious for it. Uh, watch our website and Facebook page, HorsepowerHappenings.com and Horsepower Happenings on Facebook. We'll do the best that we can to kind of take a look at some of the events throughout the week that we know of, that we think you should be aware of, and maybe you'll want to tune in and uh, either find on pay-per-view or see if you can gobble up one of those limited tickets that might be available. So, uh, Rich, we'll see what happens. It might be getting closer to us saying to get your backside trackside. So, for Rich France, I'm Zach Heiser. Thanks so much for tuning in this week to Horsepower Happenings. You've been listening to Horsepower Happenings on the Motor City Racing Network. Catch up on past episodes by logging on to horsepowerhappenings.com. And be sure to tune in next week to keep up on what's happening. And, uh, Tim, for joining us on the program. Uh, Rich, as we said earlier in the show, May 7th through 9th this weekend could get out of hand with, with pay-per-view races and, and limited spectator events. We know that there are a bunch scheduled across the region, but just before this show, uh, we we got some loose confirmation that one of our Michigan's own might be packing up the family van and headed to the racetrack with a car in tow. Yeah, uh, we heard that uh, Logan Arts, who battled for the American Ethanol Late Model Tour Championship in 2019, um, thinking about loading up and heading out to I-55 in Missouri for that UMP late model event. Um, gosh, Zach, <laughs> I really want to head out there and go check that out. And, and uh, you know, I like the young man anyway. He's always been right. great to us. And, 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 and boy, he can he can sure wheel a late model. We know that. Well, um, and exactly. And I tell you what, it's exciting to see some Michigan boys getting a chance to get back behind the wheel of their race cars. 
I know they've been anxious for it. Uh, watch our website and Facebook page, HorsepowerHappenings.com and Horsepower Happenings on Facebook. We'll do the best that we can to kind of take a look at some of the events throughout the week that we know of, that we think you should be aware of, and maybe you'll want to tune in and uh, either find on pay-per-view or see if you can gobble up one of those limited tickets that might be available. So, uh, Rich, we'll see what happens. It might be getting closer to us saying to get your backside trackside. So, for Rich France, I'm Zach Heiser. Thanks so much for tuning in this week to Horsepower Happenings. You've been listening to Horsepower Happenings on the Motor City Racing Network. Catch up on past episodes by logging on to horsepowerhappenings.com. And be sure to tune in next week to keep up on what's happening.